Welcome to the Critical Communications and Tribal Communities podcast series, episode one on education, hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. The past year has presented many challenges, especially regarding education in tribal communities. For those learning on tribal lands, the access to education and learning materials was made even more difficult due to the pandemic. From poor internet connections to no internet at all, tribal communities came together and partnered with industry to deliver learning materials to students. And for this episode, we are joined by Christy Abeta, who is the assistant principal at the Santa Fe Indian Middle School in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Francis Vigil, who is the tribal education specialist at the National Indian Education Association, and Anita Hart, who is the client partner federal for the tribal team at Verizon, who will all discuss this topic further. And Christy, Francis, and Anita, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Great to have you all here. Absolutely. It's great to have you all here. This is a really, really interesting topic and something that we haven't really covered much on Government Technology Insider. So I'm really excited to jump in. So let's start at the top and talk about the issues. So overall, how has the pandemic impacted education in tribal communities overall? And Christy, would love to start with you from your perspective on the education side. So as an educator, tribally controlled school here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, we serve 19 tribal communities, Pueblo communities here in New Mexico, along with Navajo and Apache students. So our experience has been quite different than other schools in the United States. For one, we have our students who we serve remotely coming from all regions of of New Mexico, Arizona, Utah. And so that has really made things difficult for us in terms of addressing the educational needs of our students and in the with the pandemic it's just highlighted the existing disparity in terms of technological resources and you know access and i think you know for for most people in the united states being in urban areas where access is readily available to most, you know, dependent on their own personal resources. Our students don't necessarily have that because of their location. And so we've worked really hard over the last year and a half to find ways to ensure that our students are receiving the educational uh, experience and opportunities that they would if they were here in Santa Fe campus. But because of the pandemic and because of the limited access in the beginning of the pandemic, most of the work has been geared towards finding and securing the access needed for digital, for online learning. And it's been, you know, it's come a long ways and we're currently in a better position than we were last March when we left abruptly due to the pandemic. But you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done within our communities to continue to grow the network and to be able to move families and students from online, you know, access to Wi-Fi accessibilities within their homes, because we know that a lot of our students rely on phone service in order to access their education, and it's just not a good service for them, nor does it is it costly. Uh, So there's a lot of issues, you know, that we're dealing with in terms of 
the educational opportunities that our students receive and the barriers that the digital divide has, has created. But I'll let Francis elude more to that. Okay, yeah, great. Francis would love your take on this question as well. So I will say ditto to everything that Christy mentioned in her response. I think I would also piggyback off of the huge part of this is that what has been highlighted through this pandemic and through the digital divide is that this is systemic in nature and it doesn't just arrive in our Native American communities. It's been something that has been affecting communities for quite a since the dawn of the computer age, since computer science has become a really a necessity when we're doing education. The inequities that have really been very prevalent, but have really been hidden in a lot of ways. So in a lot of ways, this goes back to the disenfranchisement and marginalization of Native Americans in a very historical fashion that has kind of led us to this point. And that's a very important component of this and an understanding that we need to have is that just didn't emerge yesterday or just last year with the pandemic, but it was already existent. I think that also goes into how the responses were provided from a federal, from an industry standpoint, and even a tribal, because in a lot of ways, it looked, we saw that there was a lot of a reaction to this instead of a really proactive approach in providing these services even prior to the pandemic. But I also see that during the digital divide and this pandemic that we see a lack of computer literacy. A lot of our students, even though they use computers for testing, for various things, to even, I think, more from a social standpoint, to watch movies, play games, what have you. There was a lot of computer illiteracy that happened, and you started to see how it affected not only our students and their inability to utilize computers in a way that's conducive to virtual learning, but also the parents. Parents having to not being taught or being able to be trained how to access their students' educational services or even to support their servants, students and be advocates. The other part, it's really a huge component of Native communities is the intergenerational effect because a lot of our students come from households where there's multi-generational families where grandmas and grandpas are taking care of students and that affects it. So you also look at the lack of training for our teachers and their inability to move from in that space from an in-person to quickly having to shift to a virtual. That was a very huge ask for teachers to be able to do and the delivery of that and a lack of preparation to modify their classes. So even in a space like where Christy's teaching at the Santa Fe Indian School, where there's a lot of experiential learning and a lot of relationship building, that really affects the learning environment. And the last one, and kind of piggybacks off of my last point is the lack of culturally and linguistically responsive education, engagement, and opportunities. That is really a hallmark of Native American education in a lot of ways because now you see that the cultural relevancy is not being able to be engaged in in a virtual setting. That intentionality of relationship building that is so important for the engagement of Native American students is a huge loss in the learning environment that we provide. And then the lack of a connection and engagement for families, parents, and communities, that has been a barrier. And so I think the last point that I would make is even just the lack of computer access. Christine highlighted some of the issues that we see and that have become kind of the highlight of the digital divide, which is lack of internet access in rural communities. 
But all of these things, when you look at this in its totality, doesn't provide a very good learning environment for our students to learn in. So you see that this has been a kind of a stepwise historical part problem, but also going into now, what are we going to do about it? And I think we've identified some of these key areas where the digital divide has, has highlighted some of these things. Now it's our turn to say, what are we going to do with them? That's great. Really appreciate both of your insights there. And it's certainly a wide range of challenges there that both of you outlined there. And so, you know, with this in mind and with these barriers to overcome from your all's perspectives, how did tribes deliver virtual learning opportunities to students since the pandemic began? And, you know, for this one, we'll start with Francis again. Okay. So I think, first of all, I think by and large, I think tribes are reacting in a lot of ways because I think, first of all, tribes, if you are familiar with Native American communities, they're very small. They're usually very tight-knit. But also the fact that there's such a dynamic, an intergenerational dynamic. When this pandemic emerged, it hit Native American communities quick and it hit them hard just because of the way that our communities are set up. And tribes are very much responding to the needs of the community in that fashion. Education necessarily at that point, we were trying to keep people alive making sure that people are safe. And I think at the moment of looking at, okay, education is almost a secondary thought in this regard. So I don't think that tribes are not necessarily ignoring the virtual opportunities, but I think it was also something that we were really trying to just make sure and assure that our students, our parents, our communities, our elders were safe. The other part of this really looks at more concentrating on these efforts because of the efforts to keep communities safe was trying to look at how can we build this collaboration for with different people in industry, looking at different resources from government funding to grant opportunities to start to look at building these infrastructures. Even though it was reactive in a lot of ways, it was a necessary component to start to look at, well, how can we solve this? Because again, we weren't prepared in a lot of ways for this kind of once in a lifetime, once in a hundred years pandemic where we thought we had some time to build these things in, where now we're faced with the, uh, the reality that our students are in a virtual setting and that they don't mean they don't and may not have access. And so there are some really good examples, though, of, of where tribes have been able to deliver some virtual learning opportunities in this space. So one, for example, through a Office of Indian Education grant, Anadarko Public Schools, in conjunction with the Communities and Schools of Mid-America, has been able to do an awesome job in Oklahoma to provide food, clothing, PPE, and learning extended learning environments for students. And even going forward, being proactive and looking at some of the learning loss that's happened engaging and giving opportunities for Native American students to have access to summer school and other kinds of learning opportunities throughout the summer once the school year is complete. We are looking at another example would be in Dulce Independent Schools, where they've been working heavily on creating in this space and this time when everything's on virtual to provide professional development and training for their teachers in culturally and linguistically responsive education, looking at different types of policies, such as cultural competency frameworks to really try and bolster some of these things in that virtual learning space and being able to take advantage of that. And also, if you look at Navajo Gallup McKinley County Schools, 
they've been doing a really, in conjunction with Navajo Nation, have been doing a really good job of training culture and language teachers during this time to deliver in this virtual space so that that language learning continues to be a viable part of the instructional day that the students have. So there's some really good things that have emerged, even though a lot of things have been we trying to adjust and adapt to things on the fly. Tribes have been very innovative in a lot of these ways, and I think that shows the resiliency and the perseverance in a lot of what our tribes are doing out there in um, Native country. That's excellent. Thanks for those insights there, Francis. Good stuff. And, and Christy, would certainly love your take as you're on the ground floor there as an educator at the school. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, working at the Santa Fe Indian School has really given me a broader scope of experience in terms of what our communities are dealing with. And, you know, everything, you know, that Francis said is totally true about, you know, the disparities that are our communities have faced and the historical disparities that have existed and only since the pandemic have have come to light for, you know, people outside of our communities. And, you know, I know for our tribal communities, the 19 pueblos in New Mexico, uh, we have a wide array of learning opportunities that tribes have uh, engaged in. You know, San Felipe Pueblo is really moving forward with through their education program to support students by providing one-to-one tutoring when school school assigned internet resources aren't readily available or aren't efficient in terms of what the student needs in terms of learning. We have other communities who have taken this opportunity to to re-engage students in language and opportunities that are culturally based learning opportunities. So there's a whole array of strategies and applications that are being applied across across the 19 pueblos. And I really want to celebrate, you know, that work because, you know, going into the pandemic, we knew that there was an existing challenge and that was connectivity. And I have to say that from last year in March to this year in March, a year later, we are in a completely new platform of access, you know, moving from that cell phone, uh, you know, a student held handheld device to now students being capable of accessing community Wi-Fi, hotspot locations. It is just 360, you know, in terms of the difference from where we started and where we are today. But the learning that it's the virtual learning and the opportunities that are going to continue to grow and unfold as we move through the pandemic and back into in-person schooling is really going to be substantial in terms of the commitment, not only from our tribal communities, but the commitment from our school districts. And how are we going to come together to create programs that speaks to everything Francis had to say? As Indian educators, we know what our students need. We know that they're rooted in an inherent way of knowing that is, you know, that goes back to time immemorial since our creation. And in those processes that, you know, visual, auditory, you know, practice, hands-on, and engagement of material that is relevant and innovative, right, in a sense that 
you're bringing in traditional community knowledge and you're allowing students to grow in that sense, but also building on academic skills that are going to support future learning in Western educational systems, whether that's higher education or vocational ed, or even on the job training in our communities. So, you know, for the delivery of virtual learning, the opportunities are endless. And I think that's where I really get excited as an educator is that, you know, the pandemic has really shed light on this glaring disparity of education and educational programming across the board in Native communities, but the response by our tribes, by our communities, and even the school districts within our communities that our tribal students attend has been impressive in, in the sense that everybody is recognizing a shift that needs to take place and the shift that has been in sight, but we've never had something that has forced us to really take a look at how we're going to move education, to be efficient, to be innovative, to embrace all that we know our students need and grow from it, providing those things in a very engaging way and so that people, our students are benefiting. Thank you. That's awesome. Great insights there. And Anita, anything to add to this particular question? Yes, I'd like to add to it and just really piggyback on what um, Francis and Christy were discussing. And Christy, I know at the, at the end you were just mentioning that not only did you have, you know, students that were in tribal schools, but you had students that were attending surrounding public schools or private schools in the area. There's 644,000 Native students. And what I saw is at the beginning of this pandemic, a sure panic by the tribal schools, by the tribes themselves, wanting to make sure that these kids had connectivity and a way to learn. And not only were they concerned about the tribal students, but they were concerned about all Native students within their tribe or and nationally that were members of their tribe, making sure that they had connectivity. So there was a lot of coordination and communication between the tribal nations and myself and others as well to try and provide that connectivity. So where I came in is really being that go-between between, you know, here's what we need and here's what we see and here's where we don't have coverage and what can you do for us, whether it's a device called an efemto to boost signal or it's routers that we could implement in a charter house where they can educate more than one or two students at a time if we, in some instances, provided satellite backhaul so that students had connectivity. So my approach and my involvement was how do we connect these students and how do we get them the equipment that they need to be able to function and learn. And so there was a lot of coordination and, you know, I, there was reference to the cell phones. Many of these Students in homes, they just had cell phones. And so you can't learn on a cell phone day in and day out. You know, they needed a bigger screen. They needed a tablet. They needed a laptop. Those devices and bringing that to the forefront and coordinating with tribal governments and schools to bring those devices to the students and help procure or 
acquire those were very important. And, you know, we were just all hands on deck is how can we get students learning and keep things up and running? And that was our focus and our goal in that time. All right, great. Excellent feedback there. And let's talk about partnering with organizations like Verizon and how has this helped enable learning to continue overall? And can you tell us about how partnerships with industries really helps to improve education in tribal communities? And actually, we'll stick with Anita on this one to start. Our partnerships with the tribes go back several years. We've got a great relationship with tribal nations. We have a team that supports tribes. And so my involvement for tribes has been for the last eight years, hands on building those relationships. So when the pandemic hit, for myself and my team to be able to to do the outreach, to speak to our partners and our friends and clients, you know, what do you need from us at this point in time? How can we help you get things up and running, whether it's education, telework, telehealth, how can we assist and come to the table for you? So those relationships had been established prior to the pandemic, and that helped us. And I think it helped our our clients know who to go to for a fast, you know, they didn't have to do a lot of research, like who do I contact to get this done? So I think that was very important. But not only did myself, Verizon, et cetera, come to the table to help, but we leaned on our partners as well that we have within our organizations, partners that could bring mobile device management and SIPA compliance devices to assure that the students, once they had connectivity, were able to contact the right internet sites and were not connecting with sites that they should not have connectivity on, that they were used for the right reasons. Working with partners that had laptops that were embedded with solutions to provide broadband access. Working with some of our partners that have a provide Wi-Fi on a school bus that can actually pull to a site and students could come up and download information, providing a Wi-Fi hotspot around it. So it was not only Verizon coming to the table as a sole provider, but utilizing our partnerships to help initiate and bring solutions to the tribes and to the students. All right. Excellent. Great. Christy, would love your take on this. Yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful to, you know, industries like Verizon, T-Mobile, Cellular One, you know, without them and without the work that had taken place before the pandemic, pre-pandemic time, we had our chief technological director, Kimball Sakalump, who was working on an E-rate contract or, you know, funding source for tribal community libraries. And it was heaven sent. You know, we, we were able to connect most of the middle Rio Grande villages with the broadband capabilities so that they could outfit their libraries and provide a resource for students, you know, in this time. We partnered with, you know, Verizon on some of the devices that Anita spoke to with the capabilities of inserting the SIM card so they could use their device wirelessly and access their education. But with all that we've seen now and with the partnerships that, you know, have worked together to support students 
which really been heaven sent in the sense that our students have a greater access to learning than they did pre-pandemic. And response to government and federal program industry, the state and local funding sources that came together to ensure that our students had that access was phenomenal. And to myself, when I think about some of the other communities in rural Arizona, rural New Mexico, when we're looking at, you know, Navajo country and what they're still working towards, we're in a better place. We're not necessarily in in the best that in comparison to urban America, but we've had a lot of work done by a lot of really determined educators, public servants, tribal leaders. And overall, right now, you know, we're in a great place that we can kind of look back at and thank these partners that contributed to the outfitting of the access and the capabilities for our students to access online when the only alternative was paper-based. And if you can imagine that, a nightmare in itself in respect to our school and our program, we would be sending initially when the pandemic hit, we started on a paper base until um, we were able to come up with a plan. And it was a nightmare. Melly now schoolwork, classwork for 700 students, textbooks, materials, you know, the whole nine. And so thanks to Verizon and to the E-rate program that helped support the infrastructure that was needed within our public communities so that now we are able to provide greater access, not to the extent that we why we have the beginnings of the infrastructure and a plan, much less to move forward and to grow that capacity for future opportunities and, and learning in our tribal communities. So it's a work in progress and without the partnerships and without industry willing to come to the aid of schools and communities, tribal communities specifically, I don't think that we would be in the place that we are today. Great insights there. Thank you so much. And Francis would love your take on this, on industry partnerships. Okay. So I think going off of what Anita and Christy shared was very much true in the fact that there was a lot of industry that came to the assistance and provided a lot of much needed connection for a lot of our Native American students in a bunch of different ways in various communities. But I also think that this issue also goes beyond internet services and what industry can do to provide some of these things. And knowing that supporting is also knowing and and being aware of what the issues are and some of those systemic issues that we talked about a while ago. And so when we talk about that, it's really about understanding and knowing the wide spectrum of tribal nations and their various histories, their various places and spaces that they're at when it comes to education, and but also being very cognizant of what are the unique needs. One of the things that really comes to mind and when, you, when I think about this is looking at the gaps in computer science and STEM opportunities for Native American students and just Native Americans in general. And that goes back to the diversity, equity, and inclusion component of all of this and really looking at building capacity for the inclusion, the recruitment, and the retaining of Native American community members to be involved in this type of work, but also to lend voice to this. 
It's great that industries, and I've been involved with a lot of different, over this past year, have been involved with a lot of different boards of to respond to the digital divide in various shapes, fashions, and form. But when it comes down to it, a lot of this comes back to this fact that there's not very much Native American representation in these fields. And I think that's something that we could really bolster and in partnerships with industry can help to improve not only our access, but also the understanding of what's happening in our communities. Because by having somebody in these spaces where we're talking about technological needs and knowing the infrastructure of what's happening in Native country, that really provides an educated point of view and a very different mindset versus somebody who might be coming in from outside of that Native American community who might have to learn what that community is all about. So I think that's part of one of the things that we can do from an industry standpoint is to really bolster how we do that. And I think part of that really, of course, is through providing internet and continuing to do all the things that Anita and Christy alluded to, but also really looking at giving an opportunity for these things to kind of proliferate and grow within our communities and to see ourselves in those spots and in those places where these decisions are being made on behalf of our tribal communities, but also giving the intentionality to say, hey, we have a tribal person in this role that can really inform us in a lot of ways from an industry standpoint of how and where we should be looking at Native Americans and how we can advocate and support more specifically and more intentionally. All right, great. Well, this has been a wonderful podcast, certainly enlightening when it comes to all the educational challenges that were happening in the tribal community, but also, you know, very exciting to see all the solutions that were quickly put into place. So for Our last question today is more future focused. So how do you see tribal education continuing to change with these technologies in place? This is kind of a future predictions question. And we'll start with Christy. You know, I really feel like we're at the cutting edge of making some really huge shifts that could potentially change the course of of tribal communities and educational programming. I, I feel like Right now, like Francis mentioned, we don't have the capacity within our communities to support those positions, those career fields that, you know, we most desperately need. And so my vision for the future is that we're able to create career pathways leading out from our communities into educational programming and back to our communities focusing on technology and the fields that are most needed in terms of IT, even basic audio-visual fields where in, in schools, we take them for granted, but during the pandemic, I swear they were the most called upon resource on campus when teachers were trying to convert teaching from in-person to online and recording and pre-recording and being able to upload material and share and and all the strategies that were needed to teach and for students to learn online. So my vision for the future is that we take the work that has begun during the pandemic with technology, knowing that the capacity and the access is going to continue to grow and to really be mindful of how we create the programs that are most needed in our communities. 
the STEM fields like Francis spoke of, house healthcare and education, science and technology, and all those very critical areas of our communities that we don't necessarily have a capacity to draw from when we're looking to plan for the future and to guide and to have direction, expertise, and insight from those types of professionals. So really looking at reframing education and focusing on community need. What is it that our communities are lacking in terms of technology and resource? In what capacity can we provide training and education from a middle school, high school perspective at Santa Fe Indian School so that we get the, we get our students from the community, we guide them through a career path that is going to lead them back to their community where they become those experts, where they're both knowledgeable with culture, tradition, and language, but also a very valuable resource, which is the professional career, educational experience, and training that we so desperately need. Thank you. Absolutely. No, great, great input there. Francis, you're next. Okay. So in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of conversations. I've been on a lot of conversations about where this is going to go with technology, with virtual learning in this space of education. And it scares me a little bit, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of educators who are saying, hey, this is the wave of the future. We can, we're going to all start learning virtually. In a lot of ways, that really hampers what we really look at in Native American education. And I, I alluded to this before, but I'll say it again, and that's relationship building and the trust building. And we're looking at historical impositions and how and why those are best practices and considerations in Native American, Native-centric schooling and Native schools that have a high population. It's some one of those places where you really, it's a, almost a double-edged sword because it gives you the opportunity to teach and to provide educational services remotely and asynchronously in a lot of ways. But also, it takes away the personalization of the education and the stewardship and the identity that goes along with those learning environments that schools provide, that our communities provide as learning environments, and even tribal and tribal community spaces and places for culture and language. So I think when you start to look at this, it's a lot of what, from a tribal education standpoint, is really looking at building that infrastructure and moving towards a very realized vision of what educational sovereignty is for Native American tribes. And the creation of learning environments that include technology, but don't rely on it in a lot of ways to be able to teach our core content area, but also like Christy alluded to, to look at culture and language because a lot of those components, there's some of wherever tribe you're, you're looking at, some tribes are very technologically savvy with some of these things with their culture and language. They have apps, they have built websites, and there are other communities on the other end of the spectrum that would rather not have their culture and language digitized and proliferated and expanded upon in that realm. So you have a large spectrum of wants and needs across tribal education, but when it comes down to it, it really does boil down to how are we providing these tribes and the educational systems that are in learning environments that, that are within those tribes and work with those tribes to realize that sense of tribal educational sovereignty. 
I think the second part would be just really looking at engaging students with more cultural um, computer science training, looking at training for students, the parents, because in a lot of ways we saw there's this misconception that somehow students and people know how to use technology in a learning environment in a method that's going to be conducive to learning. And that wasn't the case. And we saw that very upfront, very much in our face, that there was a lack of computer science training and, and the ability to utilize basic programming and application skills. And of course, all of us know how to use a phone. We can Google search. We can send a text. We can do all kinds of stuff with our phone. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're utilizing the technology in that learning space in the correct way. I think the last part would also be the accessibility to technology. And I think that was one place that I know that industry was very responsive and not necessarily giving away stuff, but making them available. I know schools were very responsive in, the, in that way of providing the technology needed to, uh, the, to the students, but also looking at this again in totality. Do they have the access to it? Do they have the training to utilize it? Do they have the understanding of what to do with that? And on the other side of that with the teachers, are our teachers and, our, and the people that are providing this instruction, have they been given the ample um, time to shift over to these? And I know that there's going to be some overlap once this pandemic starts to dissipate. But as we start to go forward, just being very cognizant of how do we build virtual learning environments that are culturally and linguistically responsive for Native American communities? That's a question that's going to be lingering out there for years to come. But I also know that when we look at how tribal education is going to continue to change with technology, well, technology is here to stay. And I know that we can't just kind of live in a bubble and be absent of it. But I think this is, again, going back to my original point, the educational sovereignty of this and really be enabling and empowering tribes to look at how we can start to do this. And this goes back to my point that I made in my previous response is that we need to have that representation in those spaces, in these industry um, rooms with some of these decision makers so that we have that equitable inclusionary treatment that we deserve to have so that we can inform, better inform how technology is used and what the needs are and what the advocacy and supports might be. Excellent. Great wrap up there, Francis. Anita, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you both for your insight on the future. And um, Francis, I do appreciate your insight on keeping true to the tribe and the sovereignty and the education that each tribe wants to provide with, with language and traditions that are true to the tribe. I think from a industry perspective, what I see for the future is that we'll have a hybrid type of education. Um, there'll be students in the classroom. There'll be students that are going to continue to be remote. There'll be schools that will do a combination due to whatever the situation might be. So from our standpoint, what I see is that we are going to have to continue to support tribes, support students with connectivity. The tribes don't want to be in this position again. We don't want rural America to not have the connectivity that they need and deserve as everybody else. It is standard in most urban areas. And so 
looking at national broadband solution. You know, how can we provide that connectivity across rural America and what's needed? Utilization of the CARES Act, utilization of response and relief, the Supplemental Act, utilizing those funds for connectivity, it's written into it to help provide the dollars to initiate that broadband that is needed or connectivity that is needed, whether it's through a wireless carrier or a wired carrier. And then it takes commitment on, I think, the industry to really come forward with what can we do to help? What can we bring to the table? And there's initiatives. There's, you know, Accelerating America, wanting to bring broadband across rural America, wanting to bring broadband connectivity. And then also, as we've talked about, digital literacy. So you have the connectivity, but if you don't know how to use those devices or how to teach virtually or how a student can access tests, et cetera, then they're all for naught. So we have to teach the teachers and we have to teach the students how to use that, the platforms that are given or hopefully given to them or they have available. So I think as industry, we need to be responsible. We need to be socially responsible to all communities and their needs and see how we could come to the table. And I think you'll see a lot more of that in the coming years and hopefully sooner rather than later. This concludes the Critical Communications and Tribal Communities podcast, Episode 1 on Education, hosted on Government Technology Insider. And today we were joined by Christia Beta, who's the Assistant Principal at the Santa Fe Indian Middle School in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Francis Vigil, who's a Tribal Education Specialist at the National Indian Education Association, and Anita Hart, who's the Client Partner Federal for the Tribal Team at Verizon, who all discussed how tribal communities came together and partnered with industry to deliver learning materials to students during the COVID-19 pandemic and much, much more. And Christy Francis and Anita, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.